Here we are for the next episode of the Crusader Podcast. We have an exciting show tonight. We're going to be reviewing a module, an adventure that one of the Crusaders here is actually the author of. We're going to be talking about Shadows of Shadow of the Halfling Hall by our own Mike Stewart. An adventure for characters level 1 to 4. Never heard Sorry. of it. <laughs> Adventures level 1 to 3, not 1 to 4. Sorry. <laughs> you kind of scared me for a minute there. I was like, did I forget that? <laughs> oh, my God. In the past. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. okay. I'm not quite Alzheimer's yet. And uh, so. looks like this was written in 2012? Uh, no, it was written oh. like 2005, and I think. copy I have... It's yeah. got a yeah. They okay. they did reprints. It's yeah. I think this is the third printing at this point. Yeah, Steve told me it's been fairly popular. It's one of their more popular oh, modules. I can see why it's, it's which is gratifying. Um, do you want to go over yeah. it like at a real high level first for everybody, since you're the author? Well, I hate to spoil a 17 year old module, alerts. but you know, I'll <laughs> try not to give too many spoilers. Uh, yeah, basically it's. An introduction module for players that are coming to the aid of a halfling village who, one of their notables, had a great revelry feast, as halflings tend to do, at his hall, a a new hot... Sorry, I was about to say hobbit. Nope. Halfling (laughs) hall in in a hill with a nice hall built into it, and then everyone mysteriously didn't come out. The sheriff with sent some of his guys there, and they didn't come out either. So what's going on? And the party happens to arrive. And you've got, a, I like to think you've got a little bit of everything. you got a little bit of mystery, a little bit of investigation, combat, searching, exploration. It's a dungeon crawl, but you've got a few wilderness encounters in the immediate environs that can happen if you're not, if your party isn't too careful. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I really liked about it is that it has, like you said, a couple different types of of gaming wrapped up in it. A lot of introductory modules are usually pretty boring. Here's the dungeon. You have to go find an item. You go in and do it. What I like about this one is you got a good town build up, but you're not, you haven't like over detailed it. Like the last module we reviewed, Um, (laughs) there's definitely a list of NPCs and there's quite a few of them, but only the real important ones are uh, super fleshed out. Um, and it, it's, I think you did a good job walking the fine line of giving enough information to make the NPCs usable and then also not just throwing a ton of words on the page um, and kind of getting boring. Well, thanks. <laughs> I've always... I've always subscribed to the idea of NPCs. You know, Just give a general idea because in, in my experience, the DM or it's the castle keeper in this case is going to want to flesh them out to make them their own NPCs. You know, maybe you want to give them a special, you know, during, during play, you decide, Oh, well, the innkeeper is going to have a gimp leg. Well, it doesn't say that there, but there shouldn't be anything there to inhibit the, the CK if that's what they want to do. Yeah. I like that. It's just a little bit of information readily available. One thing I, I, I struggle with adventures that have tons of NPCs, and even if they're compelling NPCs, I can't keep all these people straight. <laughs> Whereas with this, I can quickly look at the right. name. There's a little blurb. I understand the gist of the character. Like you said, change them if you want to, but I don't have to read you know a page of backstory on this one character who's only going to be in my game for. I don't. Yeah, I don't give their life story. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. That's that's exactly the kind of sweet spot NPC work I like to do. In fact, one of Liz's characters is in, is one of the NPCs, which I stuck in there. Oh, which one is that? Mirren Fireheel. Oh, cool. Mirren Fireheel, the, the 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 deputy sheriff, as it were, of the village. Yep. She, apparently, she finally settled down and decided to use her powers for good. <laughs> Instead of, well, self-aggrandizement. She was she's a rogue, so. You know. <laughs> or the actual character was a rogue when I made her an NPC. I cleaned her up a bit so hey what better individual to uphold the law than someone who is used to breaking it that's right she's a security consultant so yes that, that's exactly. how that works <laughs> uh one of the few grouses i did have 
is the cover of the module. I don't know about the 2012 edition. Does that have the full cover, or does that just have like the little key window with the sh- screaming halfling? Uh, mine is face a PDF, it? but it's a full cover. Huh. Okay. Um, part of the mystery of what happened in there is pretty much given away right there on the cover. So while it makes a great cover, it kind of blows part of the part of the mystery which was a little irksome but you know (laughs) yes there's undead which is really funny because all the times i uh play tested it with some groups around here in texas i uh sent a copy of it to uh the playtest group in arkansas with the troll lords their regular playtest group they used and nobody wanted to play a cleric so they set a party in full of you know, to a place full of undead with no cleric, and they ran like scared old women, you know. So it's like, well, crap. So that's one of the reasons why I put in an NPC cleric there at the shrine, specifically so you know he can you know go with the party if necessary to help them because it's not like there's super powerful undead there, but there's some you know good numbers of of the mook type that you might need some help on. Well, honestly, I can't even tell you how many times I've wound up playing a cleric in a group because nobody else wanted to play one. So I can certainly see that happening. (laughs) I guess. I just, to me, I don't know, maybe it's just my, my heritage, but I've always felt like no party should go anywhere without a fighter, a wizard, a cleric. Or a rogue. You know, you need those four check boxes. You can have more than one of each, but if you, if you don't have one of each of those, you really shouldn't be going anywhere. Well, it's an introductory module. A druid will work. And not a having a cleric is huh? a good lesson for new players to learn. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. That There is that. Uh, but yeah, um, I think it was like in 2015 that. Uh, Shadows of the Halfling Hall, the guy, one of the guys from Fantasy Grounds contacted me about putting it up there and, you know, wanted to know if I could answer some questions about it. I'm like, sure. I even wrote him up a 10 year retrospective on it to publish, you know, put it with the Fantasy Grounds production of the module, which I pointed out some of the good and bad things that we had learned about the module during the during the time. In fact, Steve's been kind of bugging me to do a sequel module, um, which who knows? Maybe I'll I'll do that sometime soon. I've got some ideas because one of the big grouses is at the and I've got to agree that the end of the module does end in a way that the party is kind of in a well, what's what do we do now kind of circumstance. Again, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but. I always felt like, well, that then just leaves it to the castle keeper to then expand however they want, you know, the the adventure to go in other directions. But some people have said, well, but we want something that tells us where we should go next. So I'm like, huh, well, I guess that could be another module. Yeah, I mean, where is the thing? What do we do now that we've got a thing to get rid of the thing? Yes. Well, you go to Mordor and throw it in the Mount Doom. (laughs) Yeah. That's what you do, but you got to walk. You're a halfling village, so you can grab one of the halflings to go with you. Yeah. You need one. You need a Samwise with you, and you got to walk. You got to walk. Nope, no eagles, no magic carpets. Nope, nope, got to walk. Well, you kind of give a, a follow-up well, with maybe. The, the optional um, part of the adventure with the, the windmill. That's in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to be honest, uh, that was stuck in because some people were thinking, you know, I... I was told at least by a readers rather than people actually played it that might need a bit more adventure there. And I'm like, well, okay, well, if, if there's, if you think your party had too easy a time on it, you know, here's an additional encounter that you can run into afterwards. But then I got a lot of grousing about how tough the adventure was as it was before that. So it's like, well, you know, but a lot of people are buying it. So I guess, you know, people like it. I've ran it once. It was in a few years, and as I'm apt to do, it was like a game night thing with a bunch of friends. So mm-hmm. it got smashed into like a one-night session, which is definitely way more there than that. 
Of course. Yeah. I would like to go back and, and do it properly. I would, if I were going to, I was going to say, if I were going to do that, I'd probably start them out right in front of the hall, you know, in the old yeah. AD&D style, you know, you begin at the door of the dungeon. Yeah, well, it was pretty close to that. <laughs> Why are you there? <laughs> Why are you there? Because you want to be. Now shut up and get in there and light your torch. But ironically, this is maybe giving away a little bit, but... There is an encounter of all the undead and the and the terrible things that happened to this village, to the people, you know, all this. The one thing I have gotten the most complaints about are the dogs. I'm glad that you're the one that was going to bring that up because I was gonna I was gonna throw you under the bus on that one for sure. You're another ah. one. Everybody, ah. it's <laughs> all these people are dead, but but the dogs. Well, I think it's maybe because you put it in writing that they uh, basically starved and and dehydrated to death. Oh, if there was I just guess. those two dogs, two zombie dogs in there, I wouldn't have even batted an eye about it. But then you have to talk about their demise, and now they change from mastiffs or whatever yes. into golden retrievers, and I feel really bad for them. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, after the attack, there was no one to let them out, and so the poor animals died of thirst and starvation. <sighs> These are bad, bad... This is bad monkey jujitsu here. I mean, I was trying to get that across. I'll take a star off my review just for the dogs. 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 Ah, yeah, well, you're not alone. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to anyone listening, thinking of writing their own adventure. Never kill the dogs. Don't kill dogs. Don't kill house cats. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. Because uh, you will hear about it a lot. Wasn't it one of your author, one of the yes. authors you follows that that, yes. that about her books? Same thing happened to her, and that was the advice she gave afterwards. <laughs> like, do not kill off a domesticated animal. <laughs> <sighs> I'll skip. Yeah, well, I. Yeah, well, I think Messi agrees with killing <laughs> That's the dogs. Right. Just, yeah, well, Messi thinks we shouldn't have any dogs at all because being a cat, she thinks that's dumb. So, yeah. But yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not alone by any stretch. And that is constantly the refrain I have heard most about. One thing I wanted to talk about was just the setting in general. I don't know if halflings are usually a centerpiece for most people's campaigns. To me, I feel like they're there, but they're kind of in the background or, you know, they don't really come into play very often. I don't know that my group has ever even really gone to any halfling villages, maybe once or twice in all my years of gaming, but nothing really memorable. So I think that's cool that New Briar is, even though the difference is that it's halflings, it makes it different than any other little town. So I thought that was cool. Right. I like the detail about like how only one of the inns in the, how only one of the rooms in the inn is big enough for humans to stay at and all those little things. Plus there's a lot of halfling death, which also if you're just used to reading books that involve other halflings, you don't really see very much of that, do you? And this one is pretty, no, uh, but dogs. pretty in your face. Dead halflings, dead dogs <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but dogs. Anyway, no, actually it came across in a campaign I was running where I, you know, was trying to put, give a little variety because you know everybody goes into the nearby village and it's all the same you know the human village so i threw something different and i made it a halfling village because i thought you know make something a little different and they're not gnomes so that's always a benefit um <laughs> and one of the players just kind of let out this loud sigh and said oh man nothing interesting ever happens in a halfling village oh really challenge accepted so not for that in particular it was too you know too late to to do anything with that particular village but that got me thinking and then i said all right well i'm gonna do something that's based mostly with halflings because you never see that in adventures or stories other than you know lord of the rings and even that was only like four of them so unless you count the saruman's takeover at the end but yeah no i thought it was definitely well overdue and you know i did it's funny, you know, um, Davis hates halflings and loves gnomes, whereas I 
I like, I mean, I wouldn't say I love halflings, but I like halflings and I don't like gnomes. So we kind of always you know, try and pick it. We picked at each other when we meet at cons and stuff about that. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking that Davis is starting to come around to your stance on gnomes. Hmm. Yeah, he's had a few tirades on Facebook about gnomes recently. So. Oh, really? I missed you that. You may have converted okay. him. Okay. Ha! He has seen the light. Now Liz will just have to talk to him about cobalt. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I created a few monsters that uh, veteran gamers might recognize from earlier editions of the world's most popular RPG that weren't in Castles and Crusades of the original Monsters and Treasures, but I wanted to use. But, uh, you know, on the whole, I just tried to use big varieties of... I, I tried more just using the same old, some of the same old monsters, but putting them in different situations to make them more interesting or more challenging than, you know, ah, you open a, bit, a room, there's two zombies in there guarding a pie, you know, yawn. Yeah, when I was rereading it, I was like, what was with the left hands again? I couldn't remember that. And then when that part comes up, it's like, oh, that's what it was. That's great. Yeah. And and I wanted to make sure that the players noticed, you know, all the zombies are missing their left hands and their right eyes. All of them. And they're like, that, you know, it, it's great to see what players do when you give them just something weird like that. And it's like. All of them? Yeah, all of them. That is weird, isn't it? And just watch their paranoia go out the window as they're like, oh my god, trying to figure out what's going on. And like you pointed out, they do run into it eventually if they continue on to the secret to that. But it's it's amusing. Well, one thing I noticed um, going through the module again, um, the Barrow Complex, the... Map for it is a very straightforward, linear sort of map, which I think is personally great for new players who may not have a lot of mapping Mm -hmm. skills yet. Um, It's fairly easy to map out if you're just starting out doing it. And there's not a lot of little gotcha map tricks to, you know, throw someone off. I wouldn't want to do that in Um, an intro adventure. (laughs) Messi agrees. (laughs) She hates yeah. map tricks. Ah, but yeah, um, a lot of a lot of the old school stuff that I've had. I mean, even dare I say, my beloved Holmes Basic Rulebook, the introductory dungeon in that one, has a few rooms for a novice mapper that I think would be pretty tough um, to accurately depict. Uh, this one is a pretty easy, straight shot, and can get somebody's you know feet wet in mapping and not have them go oh my god this is too hard i never want to do this again (laughs) Uh, yeah assuming players you know a party is doing an actual manual map which i don't know seems to be kind of rare nowadays well i know honestly i don't bother with it much anymore when i'm Mm -hmm. doing a game because it takes away time from gameplay and the older we've gotten, the less opportunity we have to get together to play in the first place. And I don't want to waste a quarter of the time that we have together, you know, having people laboriously drawing out maps as they're going through the, the rooms of the dungeon. It's like, let's just play. Yeah. <laughs> we might not be able to meet again for another month and a half. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mapping always, I mean, I know it's very old school, but my personal opinion with mapping has always been that's just something you assume the player, the player characters are already doing as they're traveling. You know, I don't. So did you light a new torch? No. Well, you're all in darkness now because you, your old torch burned out and you didn't specifically (laughs) tell me you were lighting another torch. No, that's, that's assumed. So why, why wouldn't mapping be assumed? Plus sometimes, I mean, if you have a really good mapper, it's one thing, but if they're not a really good mapper and it's like, you know, <laughs> 10 feet north. No, the other north. Okay, now this is like a squiggly, <laughs> squiggly thing. It kind of goes to the southeast. Uh, oh, no, a little bit more. It's got three branches, 10 feet apart, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, no, no, it's more like a pitchfork, not not a wide <laughs> corridor with one in the center. Yeah, it reminds me of that that story they had going for a while back in Knights of the Dinner Table when Dave became the mapper at the table. 
and they showed his maps and they were just this horrible mess of squiggly lines and just just it was terrible. It's kind of like the family circus Billy. you know, where Billy's <laughs> taking his little circuitous route throughout the neighborhood. It's like, Liz, we're... It's like, I'm pretty sure this is not how that goes. And that's pretty pretty dating ourselves. You, you are aware of that, right? I know. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I also read High and Lois in the <laughs> newspaper, too. <laughs> so I was trying to, when I read this, I was trying to find one thing to gripe about, at least. So that people... Other than dogs? Other than... Well, that one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying, though, Mike. You should be ashamed of that. I mean, that one... Yeah. I am a humble cur. So I had to find something to complain yeah, about. Dogs. Just so that it was, you know, didn't come across as pandering or whatever. Um, so I don't know if it is a typo on the map, but from room one where you enter, you know, you can either go south or to the west... And there's a there's a secret door to the west, and it cuts off like that half of the dungeon. So unless your characters come across that secret door, they might miss out on on much of the cooler rooms that are on the other side of of the complex. So that was the one great yeah. I wanted to bring up. Please don't hate me for it. Um, no, I don't. Um, I I, it, I was ambivalent about it at the time because you know being a history person. I wanted the the barrow to feel like it was a genuine tomb, and secret doors were a standard fare in ancient tombs. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't want, you know, to... I, I know there is the risk of, well, if they miss this door, then they're going to miss out some of the cooler stuff. So, which is always kind of rookie mistake number one. Don't, don't put most of your stuff required on a single roll, whether or not you can get to it or not. Um, honestly, I, what can I say? I, if I had it to do again, I probably would still make it a secret door, but note, note that it is, you know, very decayed. So it's pretty easy to spot, um, as a compromise. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of groups of course are going to find it. Um, I have been stuck one time DMing though, where like there's a secret door, they have to get in the secret door to get to the other part and they just didn't find it. So then it's like, oh, you got to keep dropping a bunch of hit hints, and um, that can kind of break the theater of the mind. Um, right. I mean, and I I fell into that trap just a few years ago when I was doing an intro game for a couple of friends of ours who had never played D anD D, and I had had this setup of a dungeon thing, and it as like I can't believe I just did this when I realized. I'm having the entire future of the dungeon based on whether or not this, they find this secret door. And of course, all three player characters blew the role to find it, even the elf. And it's like, oh man, I, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, sometimes and I just, the just aren't of, with them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, old schoolers would say, well, too bad. They go home, you know. They got to wait till they level, level up before they can try to find it again. It's like, no, nah, I just said, you know, oh, you find the door. Cause, and I, but I felt really foolish that I fell into that rookie mistake at my age. So it happens to all of us, you know, when you're in the middle of something and you realize, holy crap, I shouldn't have done that. I have just bottlenecked venture, the entire yeah. venture. <laughs> so, no, I'll, I'll take that criticism as genuine. Yeah, I, I can, I will, I will accept that. That's the only complaint I have because I do like the, the rest of the dungeon layout think it's big enough where you know there could be two sessions worth of play there if you wanted to stretch it i always like the idea of a mega dungeon i always think that would be really cool to do but at the same time i think that it would get boring fast i think this one is good because it's got uh, 11 rooms 12 in my but experience- it's, it's doable it's digestible it's not some crazy yeah. thing that you won't get to everything in my experience, I agree with you. I'd love to run a mega dungeon. I think I'd prefer to do something like the basic module before the Lost City, to where you not only are running a mega dungeon, but there are sections of the dungeon that actually fill the role of villages or wilderness, because you've got societies actually living and doing stuff down there. But in my experience, it's very hard to find a party or a group of players who are going to say, yes, let's all commit an entire campaign to just one dungeon. They just don't want to do it. So 12 to 15, or I'd say 10 to 15 room dungeons usually seem to be the sweet spot for my, for my players at any rate. 
Anything bigger than that, they start twiddling their thumbs. Anything smaller, and they're boom and back to the village, you know? Well, the thing with this, if people wanted to stay in the area, um, you could always, as a castle keeper, you know, and I think you even mentioned this in the back of the module when everything's over and done with, you know, you can have more, you know, hidden tombs in that area. Like it's people rarely put one tomb yeah. with without a bunch around, and and isn't that a great problem for halflings too? Just yeah. digging in the <laughs> exactly. I was yeah. like, that seems like it could be. A- we like yeah. to we, yeah, we like build our hills to in. build our homes in. Wait a minute, these hills are hills they're, because they're people hill- are yeah, they're barrows. <laughs> well, we'll just clean it out and make a- <laughs> this. They're not this old barrow. <laughs> This episode of This Old Barrow, we're going to turn this into a halfling home. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> I think that's a loop yeah. wall. Oops. At, uh... I also like the uh, the treasure in this, too. Because, again, I, I feel like with introductory modules, a lot of times, either there's not a lot of treasure or it's too much. You know, it's like every monster has a plus one dagger, a plus one short sword. Uh, this one, I think you did a good job of... You know, there's some good loot in here for a low-level party. Some really good loot, but you really got to work for it to get it. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's been one of those eternal problems of, you know, how much loot is too much. And in the end, that goes to, you know, CK flavor. You know, it's how much does the castle keeper feel like giving away? And... I've always felt like, well, for one thing, it always bugs me when, like, there's, okay, you've killed four orcs, and in their loot is a plus two sword. Why weren't they using that sword when we attacked them? Because it's up on the wall of the cave. Yeah, that's it. They got it over their their hearth. That's it. You know, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you kind of dealt with that in one of the encounters here. There was actually a plus one weapon. But it did damage to any evil yeah, creatures that, was my that tried to use it, and that was yeah, and that was why they weren't actually using that weapon. To I actually got a great back with. with. Well, what if it's an evil party? Too bad that they don't get it either. They don't get it either. And what the hell is an evil party doing helping halflings anyway? Uh, sorry, I'm I'm not a believer in evil player characters. I've just never liked them. It never worked. Never works. It never Ever. works out. Even Ever. if someone has like a solid idea or a good reason <laughs> why this evil character is in the group, it and it just never works. Yeah, it's one of those. Okay, if you want to write a short story with that character background, yeah, that would probably be really interesting. But an actual play, no, that's not going to work. That is so not going to work. <sighs> but you know, there's always that player who wants to give it a shot. Then be neutral. That then be neutral and just play them as edgy, and and leave me alone. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I had twenty four pages to work from. So and it was at the time I wrote this. I don't know if it still is or not, but it used to be the kind of uh, troll lord uh, concept of roughly half the adventure should be setting the other half should be quote unquote adventure locale usually a dungeon but it doesn't have to be like when i did verdant rage i mean over half the adventure in that is all in the forest it's not in a dungeon per se but i think you know i tried to do as much of the area as would be useful and give it a little bit of flavor without yeah burying you in backstory and and secret agendas and you know, all that sort of thing. And thank you for not having any box text. I appreciate that. I hate box text. I hate it. I've always <laughs> hated it. I hate box text. But you give enough of a background. Uh, There's actually quite a lot of background here, first few pages, which is great because then the castle keeper is up to date on everything and he can he or she can decide what to give to the players as opposed to reading a clunky paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's one of those most... NPCs are going to be like real people, and real people don't come up and go, here, let me tell you my life story and the story of my inn. They don't do that. People don't do that. They <laughs> they have conversations, and maybe in the 
you know, progress of the conversation, some of the history of the inn or this it, or the innkeeper comes out. But you know, it's, and no ridiculous it's not names. Just Newbriar, I can handle that. The <laughs> one of the NPCs, his name is Justin. Right? <laughs> I can handle that. It's not a uh, crazy syllables thrown together. Some Billy Gug. Yeah. Zambilagug the Galbarshian <laughs> from the town of Zegabar in in the Valley of Exposition Dump. I don't know. Yeah, I've never never been fond of that, as I think I've mentioned once or twice on the podcast. Speaking of names, tell us more about Cayenne's Scary Toe. <laughs> <laughs> he is based on a real person. Liz and I used to do living history medieval reenactment. And there's a guy named Ken. I forgot his last name. What was Ken's last name? <laughs> oh, I forgot. Right, it wasn't that scary to I can't remember either. But it was not scary to There was but. a. He was doing. We went up to Oklahoma to visit him and some other friends who were all gathered together. And he was he had been mowing his lawn or something horrible. He had to done his something toe. and had and he just wrapped toe. it up because he's a. Vietnam vet, so he's just like, yeah, just wrap it up. But they spent the whole evening, we were there talking in great detail about the damage to his toe. And he kept offering to show it to Liz. Which I did not. And of not course, want the more she compl- <laughs> insisted she didn't want to see, the more he kept trying to unwrap it and stick it in her face to show her. And at one point, she just like, ah, and <laughs> left the room. So that stuck with me. <laughs> and so when I'm trying to come up with NPCs, I came up with Cayenne Scary Toe to, to pay homage to Ken and his toe, which fully recovered, by the way. <laughs> just for those who might be worried. You can just imagine you're like laying in bed at night, like, what do I need to put into this module? Oh, yeah. Scary Toe. There it is. Scary to yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, one of the things people remember about some of the classic modules is some, you know, really weird encounters. I mean, who ever played Keep on the Borderlands and did not remember the Mad Hermit? You know, it just—it's one of those odd things that just stick in your head, and you—you—you'll always talk about it. So I wanted to have something similar, so I brought it. Yeah, and. Ken, in real life, kept a whole bunch of cats. He lived out in the country. He had a lot of cats that lived outdoors, you know, all over the place. And so Kyan Scarito, of course, has his own version of a whole <laughs> bunch of cats. <laughs> he, he's the very much based and, on our, our friend, uh, and our friend our, Ken. Our friend yes. Ken so. <laughs> in fact, we got our second cat from him. That's awesome. Yes. That's cool when you can include your friend in something that gets published. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've I've included my friends. <laughs> I, I my second module, Verdant Rage, the town uh, of Camray. There has several individuals who are based on people I actually met in medieval reenactments. So I won't name them, but they're there. <laughs> they know who they are. Well, you just sometimes you just are. meet really odd people, and you go, "Huh, I need to put them in it," because <laughs> no, everybody's going to assume that person has to be fiction. Oh no. No, no, they're real, or real enough at, at any rate. So yeah, Cayenne Scarito was as much to pay homage to Ken as to kind of annoy Liz a bit. So our listeners should also <laughs> know that there is a D12 rumor chart here too. Yes, I love rumor tables, and I love the D12. I don't think the D12 is used nearly enough. So every module I write, I, I always base my rumor tables on a D12. Rumor tables are a great way to also give a little bit of backstory without doing an, an info dump. So when you do rumors at the table, do you just have them roll and then read them out or do you pass them a note or, or how do you do it? I, you know, I'll have them sitting around the, you know, if they go to an area and start saying, you know, they say, I'm going to try to see if there's any interesting info, you know, of what's going on around town. Okay. Well, I will first, I'll look at the list and see, is there anything that would be most appropriate to whoever they're talking to? You know, if there's a farmer, it may be stuff about, well, something's going on in the woods. But, you know, the farmer may not say anything about, you know, the guy who runs the tavern is a real jerk, you know. Or or the guy who's a scribe, you know, is secretly a blah, you know. that 
Unlikely he would know that. Certainly not share it. But if there's nothing that really seems to really <laughs> click with that particular NPC, I'll roll it. And then as the person talks, work it into conversation. If the person is just bound and determined not to ask about that particular topic, then I'm not just going to force it on the, the rumor on them, mind you. I think they're they're vague enough that it can be worked into just about any conversation for any PC, especially since the initial portion of this adventure is investigation, and most parties will at least canvas around town to ask about, well, what do you know about the guy, who, you know, Willick Brambletoe, or, you know, the other notables who went out there, you know, is there any specific information we ought to know about? Make it all good and scooby-dooey. <laughs> if they're trying to be really helpful, you might learn far more about Willick than you need to know ever. <laughs> We're going to tell you things that have absolutely nothing to do with your figuring out what went on in the hall. <laughs> we'll tell you about his childhood. <laughs> we'll tell you about how lazy he is. <laughs> um, thanks. <laughs> people asking around to, to local people. That's probably what you're going to hear about. Yeah. <laughs> I've recently been doing rumors on index cards and then giving them to the players. Like if they go to a new town or something, I'll be like, oh, you guys have been mm -hmm. staying here for a week or whatever. Here's what you've picked up in the tavern and, and around town. And say I give them each two cards or something. It, it makes it kind of interesting. That's perfectly valid. Yeah, I like it because... And it helps... I was going to say, it helps move the adventure along, I suspect. It does. And it also, like, then they have to bring them up to each other. Which I really like because they're they're then deciding or like, not. oh this is an interesting rumor I want to learn more about this or you know this thing I might just keep this in my back pocket until it comes up later yeah yeah do I really want to share this right now but yeah that's a perfectly reasonable way of doing it too and of course with a d12 or 12 you've only got 12 cards right? to make up so yeah I've been I've been enjoying <laughs> I don't know where I didn't come up with it I know I stole the idea from somebody but I can't remember who it was. We and I steal. played with Bad Mike um, at North Texas Con. Um, you know, he always does B1, or almost always. And usually what he will do is, you know, to give us something to do around the table at the very start. You know, we get to roll our own rumors. <laughs> but um, if we roll the same thing, you know, it's not like, oh, roll again. It's like, no, you just learned the same thing that your friend learned. <laughs> you know, <laughs> too bad for you. <laughs> yeah, the one guy in the end's a real talker, and he talked all your ears off. And I know he's telling yeah. everyone, <laughs> which is reasonable too. I mean, you know. So, you talked a little bit earlier about how in a different game, uh, your players went to a halfling village, and the guy groaned, and oh, nothing happens, blah blah blah. So, is that the is that what started this whole thing, or um, was it something you've been working on a little bit before then? Or no, that that was the impetus to. At first, I was just going to do it for my own campaign, and then I had. It sounds crazy, I know, but I actually had a dream where I was in a game store looking at shelves, and I saw a module that said "Shadows of the Halfling Hall," and. I turned to Liz and said, hey, my module's for, up for sale. And then I woke up and it was like, okay, I'm going to write it and this is what I'm going to call it. I guess I better do something with a halfling hall then, That's shouldn't awesome. I? <laughs> a literal dream for the title. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and I, it's crazy, I know, and people are going to say, oh, you're full of crap. No, I seriously, Liz, back me up on this. This is true. Yeah. I will also say that is the only time that has ever happened with Mike. Yeah. As far as him writing something, you know, that's the only time he's dreamed about it. Yeah. And I did it before I actually had the adventure, you know, it was, and it was a certain amount of trepidation. I submitted it to Trollord Games because I was thinking, oh my God, I don't have any gaming stuff published before. This is my first time. They're probably not going to like it. Oh, I didn't realize this was your first one. Yeah, this is oh, my wow. very first that I that I got published and got paid money for. In fact, the Trollord check is a, a scan of it is in a little frame up on the my office here next to my degrees. That's awesome. Uh, his very first paid gig. 
Liz made me do that. It, it seemed pretentious, but she made me do it. So I did. I did. That's it's true. Like, it's like this is your very first check. You should you should keep that. And I remember when we took it to to the copy place to get it copied. At first, they were very why do you want to do this? You know, like we're going to try and, you know, take it to a bank or something. It's like, no, I don't want it normal check size. I want it large enough to go in an eight by 10 frame. <laughs> you know, so, and then they're like, oh, okay. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah, at first I'm sure they were thinking, are you trying to counterfeit or something? It's like, no. Oh, I guess I should be thankful you didn't get it blown up to the size of one of those publisher clearinghouse <laughs> sweepstakes checks. If I could have, <laughs> just to see the look on your face. <laughs> and Steve's. <laughs> Take it to one of the old troll cons or something. <laughs> Steve, hand this to Mike while I take a photo. <laughs> oh, good thing you didn't think of that. <laughs> well, even if I had thought of it at the time, probably could not have afforded to get it done. To get a little poster size <laughs> check, yeah. It cost almost as much as the check was worth. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hundred dollars, earning hundreds of dollars a year in the lucrative field of game design. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. <laughs> well, if you were going to do a follow-up adventure, um, do you have any ideas of where you might take it? Well, they're not going to go to Mount Doom. And and how will you fix your dog problem? Yeah, <laughs> by not repeating it. <laughs> Next time Probably it'll be gnomes, okay? Gnomes, zombie gnomes. Okay. <laughs> no more dogs or cats. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Were they locked up in a room where they starved to death? <laughs> Not yet, but now this is probably going to be more of a wilderness adventure. Um with a few stopover, you know, dungeon-esque, you know, things maybe at the end, but um Basically, it's going to be the destruction of the 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 source of all the evils in the in the hall. It's like, okay, fine, you're going to have your little quest here to actually destroy this. And since that was for levels one to three, this one's probably going to be either two to four or three to five, assuming you've at least leveled up once after the adventure, preferably twice. But you know, unfortunately, that's all I can say right now because it's still just kind of a an idea germinating germ germinating in my brain. Well, maybe you'll have another dream and you'll get your working title and everything. Maybe. Maybe. And I could base uh, one of the halflings on uh, people I know, maybe. Like Carl. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, man. I, I hope I never get on your bad side. I bet you there's... God, I don't want to get in the module. <laughs> all, all my... All my include inclusion of real people are positively done. I don't do any negatives. I mean, you could say that Cayenne Scarito is bad, but you know, if Ken were still around today, he would probably find that a mark of pride. He would be thrilled at at how he was portrayed in there. So, don't worry. Bad sides. I if you're on my bad side, I don't include you at all. See. Okay. So, hey, have you ever ran this at so conventions or? Is that something you plan? Oh God, yes! I've run this. I've run this. Oh, it, it's so funny! I've run it a good twelve, fourteen times, and Liz has been in just almost every single one of them. And in every single one of them, she has to pretend she doesn't know what's going on. Well, as long as I'm not party leader, it's easy. Yeah, I just follow along with whoever party leader is. It's like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good, a good idea. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and she usually plays a cleric. Imagine that. So. Nobody wants to be a cleric. I don't understand that. Um, That's my that my very first D and D character was a cleric, and I'm I've always loved playing clerics. I don't. I think uh, a lot of people just, oh. especially people that have only played video games, they just think they're just for healing. They don't do anything else, and it's like, no, this guy's supposed to be like a, a holy warrior. Also, he's not supposed to. They wear plate mail yeah. for a reason. Yeah, they can go in maximum armor, same armor as yeah. a fighter. Well, I got to admit, when I first started playing, I was around 11, 12 years old, and my very first character was an elf because I'm a girl, and <laughs> I'm an elf. <laughs> well, mine was a half-elf. But I learned, I learned to love the cleric. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's not my immediate go-to class, but I'd, I've never understood the the hate for a cleric. I'll gladly play a cleric, especially if it's needed. Well, I will. I will say I've I've been in groups where I played a cleric, mm-hmm. and they want you to do nothing except cast healing spells. And I can certainly understand why people would not want to play a cleric if you're stuck in a group where that's all you're allowed to do in the party. It's like, don't pray for anything other than cure light wounds, or if you're powerful enough, cure serious wounds, because you're just the party band-aid, and we don't want you to do anything else. You're thinking of that game at North Texas, aren't you? Well, that was one session, yes, but you know there have been other times too. Yeah. I mean, there, there are groups that see the cleric that way, and I wouldn't want to play one, you know, if I was made to do that either. So yeah. I, I can certainly understand, but you know, if you can just put your foot down, it's like you know, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> the the cleric can be very interesting to play. Yeah. But yeah, I've run it lots of times, and. I've never had a party that never figured out what was underneath the hall. Then on, I've had certain circumstances where they've had, there are certain encounters in there that, if you're not smart, can be a, a TPKer. Um, I'm thinking of the bag of bones, to be precise. But that encounter, there's nothing of any import in there, and it won't leave the room. So there's no extra doors, there's no treasure, there's not nothing for you in there. So that in a way, that's one of the parts of the intro that I was trying to get across to people. You don't have to kill every single thing. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that encounter going south. Uh that one, and then yeah. there's one trap situation that's pretty gnarly. I could see how that could that could take somebody out really easily too. Well, yeah. Which but, is uh, criticism. Yeah, I, I think remember. That's cool. I'm not complaining at all. But okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, to you, that's part of the introduction. You know, is that you know don't don't expect everything to be nerfed for you. Um, although it's funny, Steve yelled at me because of the bag of bones. He thought that was too lethal, but he put it in anyway. But he still groused at me about it. And then, like a month or two after Shadows came out. Uh, Rob Kuntz's Dark Chateau came out, and there's a section of his Dark Chateau where he doesn't want you to go, because that's going to be eventually the passage to subsequent modules that he was going to write, but he never did. And it's an intro adventure, and he had a 15-hit-die pyrohydra <laughs> right there. And I'm like, you let him have a 15-hit die pyrohydrate, you're giving me grief for a 5-hit die bag of bones. Yeah, well, you're not mm-hmm. Rob Kunz. That's what's going on. <laughs> exactly. That's really what it boiled down to is, well, you're not Rob Kunz, so shut up. Like, well, you're, yeah, you're, okay. you're not Jim Ward. You don't get to but do that. But it's still ridiculous in a... <laughs> but it's still ridiculous in a first-level module. All right, should we wrap it up? Yeah, well, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. It's still for sale, by the way, for those wanting to get it. It's uh, available from the Troll Lords and many other retail yep. outlets. That's right. You can go to trolllord.com. Drive through RPG. Buy it today. I won't tell you how much <laughs> it is because the price I remember is like 17 years old. So heck if I know. But it's still in print. So, you know. Well, once... I believe it is in print still. Nine ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, it is still nine ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, you definitely cool. get your money's worth out of it. I mean, I, I could see this being four sessions, easy. Yeah, I mean, once with the wilderness and the and the investigation in in Newbriar, if you're willing to 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 fully Scooby Doo that town, you can. Yeah, it could be four sessions, and hopefully the sequel will be as well received as this was. I'm a little nervous because, you know, if I do a sequel, it's going to be, you know, sequels almost never work out unless it's Star Trek. So real quick, if it's a sequel, I know you you talked about um, Wilderness Adventure. So sequel is in like it takes place right after this, a continuation, like what the like an adventure path. Yes, it would be literally taking path. There'll be a section to to uh, for player. You know, you don't have to have 
this to do it. I've already thought up an alternative to where, you know, it'll tell the CK, if your players haven't actually played Shadows of the Halfling Hall, here's another way to get them involved in this circumstance, you know, and that way they don't have to, you know, buy the first module or, <laughs> of course, if I do that, I expect to, to hear from Steve about it, but, you know, I like giving options to castle keepers. It's a hard job. I don't think we get enough credit for being the the, the GMs of all of our games. Uh, and honestly, there have been times when, you know, say the AD&D modules, where you've got a whole bunch of them that string together, you know, and looking through them, you know, some of them, I have very little interest in the adventure, but I really like what's going on in a later one. It's like... I don't want to be made to run this one because I think this one's dumb. The GDQ modules come to mind on that one. You know, some of them are interesting and some of them are, eh, they're just basically combat encounters, which if that's what you want, that's great. Yeah, but it's not going to be to everyone's taste. It's like, well, I want to just jump to this one rather than be made to go through the ones beforehand. And flexibility, that's the key. And 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 live dogs. Yes. Live, unkilled, unzombified dogs. And cats. And cats. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for another episode. Uh, Mike, thank you for letting us review your module. We were pretty nice to you, I think. But yeah, well, you know, I I thought you were you know brought up some valid points, and I do appreciate always appreciate constructive criticism as any author should. I mean. About the only time I don't like it is when they go, it sucks and you suck. Well, you know, that, that's really helpful. All that things. said, if anybody wants to write in about Mike killing dogs, um, can do so at the Crusader Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Dog Killer Stewart. Hey. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great night. Good night. Briark from a totally live goblin. <laughs> Some games may change, but the castle's Crusade Siege engine remains the same.